0: Hi, everybody, this is Ben, and this is Ben's Week in Medical School, sharing knowledge about the human body and glimpses into life in medical school. This podcast is for your entertainment and education. I do my best to present accurate information, but this podcast is not professional medical advice. The podcast is a personal project and does not represent the views of my medical school. Hi, everybody, welcome back. This is episode 203, and it's the end of week 51 of medical school. Right on time, the new medical students have their first day tomorrow, the new M1s. They will be starting the medical first responders course that I started a year ago at this time. So, of course, with the COVID vaccines, all of their activities will be in person, and they are really lucky it's a much better way to start medical school. Today, I'm going to talk about some occupational lung diseases and an impactful lung cancer lecture. And finally, I'll answer a question from email about asthma inhalers. Let's get to it. We learned about occupational lung diseases this week. These are diseases you get from working around asbestos or coal or silica, aka sand dust. Um, These are not the only things that our lungs can be exposed to that are bad, but there are some important ones to know because... People still work in industries that cause exposures to these, um, these kinds of particles in the U S and around the world. And because different of these exposures can cause different symptoms and different appearances on X-rays, asbestos, for example, takes 20 to 50 years to actually show up on an X-ray in your lungs and to cause the risk of mesothelioma. So most of this type of lung damage, unfortunately, is irreversible. Asbestos, for example, once it lodges in your lungs, it's actually microscopically these sharp little fibers. And once it lodges in your lungs, it's not coming out. And it leads to these repeated cycles of inflammation and then scarring over, which is called fibrosis. So it increases the risk of lung cancer. And specifically, it's pretty much the only driver the main driver for mesothelioma which is a specific type of lung cancer if you're around asbestos and you smoke cigarettes your risk of uh, lung cancer is through the roof it's like 50 or 90 times that of a normal person who doesn't have exposure to smoking or to asbestos but mesothelioma the only risk factor really is asbestos So, smoking doesn't change your risk of mesothelioma. Things like coal and asbestos will inflame and cause disease in pretty much anyone's lungs. But there are other substances that can cause problems if the person forms an allergic reaction to them. And these ones have really great names, like pigeon fancier's disease, and farmer's lung, hot tub lung, cheese worker's lung, coffee worker's lung, compost lung the common thread is that in each of these occupations actually hot tubbing isn't really an occupation so that one's kind of an outlier the common thread though is that in each of these occupations there's a specific type of irritant that'll be in the air and that can cause some people to have an allergic reaction like coffee bean dust or bird droppings or the um particles that flake off of the casing of cheese. And, um, each of these can cause an allergic reaction to some people. And that can in turn cause shortness of breath, fever, and then that same kind of scarring that you see in asbestos disease can also occur in, in these allergic reactions. The good thing about these fancifully named diseases is that they're usually reversible. So nowadays, you need to get diagnosed and realize what the triggers are for you and then uh, find a way to avoid that that allergic causing substance the bad news is not everyone knows what the problem is or can choose a different livelihood to protect their lungs so even these preventable exposures can lead to a permanent decrease in lung function when uh, a normal lung can inhale about 4 liters of air. A lung that's permanently damaged by one of these um, recurring exposures might cap out at 70% or lower. And not only that, but the lungs can't process the oxygen as efficiently either, so it's a double whammy effect. Those are some highlights about occupational lung diseases. One of our lung cancer lectures was based on a real case this week in fact it was a patient who was related to one of the lecturers and it was kind of an emotional roller coaster for everybody that was in the lecture hall Um, it's amazing that people have the strength to talk about the illnesses and deaths of their loved ones at the medical school and it's a really valuable learning experience for us sometimes the faculty members will spring the news that a case that we've been discussing for the last hour is actually a real person And it makes it really intense to have participated in that lecture. It can be a shock to have that sudden change of perspective between thinking about an illness purely hypothetically and then realizing that someone in the room was actually taking part in uh, each step of the disease that we talked about. You know, waiting for the results of each test that we saw on PowerPoint slides, waiting to see if a chemotherapy regimen would work, discussing with a family member whether they should go to the hospital or wait something out at home. It's a similar feeling to when I'm studying a body in the anatomy lab and suddenly remember that there are people living in the world, probably close by, that are related to this to the person who donated their body. And the body once belonged to a grandfather, a grandmother, a friend, sibling, etc. And when that thought hits me, I usually just take a moment, uh, take a breath in and out and just give a few seconds of gratitude out to the universe for having the opportunity to learn what I'm learning and eventually to practice medicine. I have a question here from my mother asking about the medications and in inhalers for people st- suffering from asthma. Thanks mom. I love that you listen to the podcast. Uh, the question is what does albuterol sulfate actually do as an inhaler delivered substance? And how is it that this can be so, immediate in relieving a breathing crisis during an asthma event could the same effect be produced by a similar substance delivered orally or intravenously but just a little slower or would it be so much slower that it would be unhelpful lots of fun parts to this question to start with there are advantages to administering a drug directly to the lungs rather than swallowing a pill or injecting a substance many drugs have multiple administration routes Orally, intravenously, sometimes topically, um, or even a rectal suppository. Um, albuterol sulfate is in a group of drugs that directly cause the muscles in your airway to relax. So, when those, when albuterol sulfate hits those muscles, comes in contact with them, it binds onto the muscles and pretty directly causes those to relax. And they can act really quickly because they're absorbed right through the lungs and can move into the into the muscles by diffusion the very muscles that they want to relax. Albuterol does get into your bloodstream though. In fact, one of the common side effects of albuterol is having your heart race because your the muscle in your heart also has receptors that speed up how how often your heart contracts. So just because it starts in the lungs doesn't mean it only stays in the lungs. And this is because the lungs are evolved to allow massive amounts of diffusion of oxygen and carbon dioxide in and out of the bloodstream other tiny chemicals like albuterol can diffuse there too albuterol is called a rescue medita- medication or a short acting medication because it only lasts for a few hours and it doesn't prevent the baseline risk of having more asthma attacks so for round-the-clock prevention of the inflammation that causes asthma People with more serious asthma will take a steroid or other longer acting drugs in conjunction and then use their uh, albuterol inhaler when they know that they're going to have um, extra risk of an asthma attack or they're having an asthma attack. Some people should use it before exercise. It's easier to prevent an asthma attack than to get rid of one, and there's less um final damage and stress on the lungs if you prevent an asthma constriction rather than treating a constriction once it's started the most efficient way to get the meds in is a puff on inhaler Um, it does provide a consistent dose in each puff and there's not very much waste if you have good inhaler technique and use a spacer some people prefer nebulizers which sort of are a machine that just missed the medication through a tube up into a face mask and You just breathe in and out through that face mask for 15 minutes or so. This works fine, but half of the medication mists off unused whenever you're exhaling. So it's a little bit less efficient, but some people prefer just getting to kind of sit there and breathe in and out and feel like they're getting a better effect. Thanks for the question. I hope the answer was helpful. Okay, that's it for this week. I talked about occupational lung diseases and the impactful lectures when real people are involved, and then I answered a question about how albuterol works in asthma inhalers and why it's good to use it in an inhaled form. If you have a question you'd like me to answer in a later show, please send me an email. My address is ben at bensweek.com. Thanks to David Funkhauser for the intro and outro music, and thank you for listening. Have a great week.